Man, we are uh, really blessed with just awesome folks here, Cowley and Worship, you know, Tom, Tim. Uh, we just have a lot of wisdom in our church, and I'm just, I'm grateful for you guys sharing that with us this morning. Um, I have a hunting buddy, now we're taking a hard turn away from wisdom, all right? So I have a hunting buddy, and he, play, he, plays, uh, he plays this game, I don't even know what it's called, but usually, uh, you know, I just think of it as how much would it take? Uh, but we'll be out hunting somewhere, and you know, he will just see this like disgusting pile of something, and he'd be like, hey, how much would it take for you to eat that? Or, or like we'll be eating, you know, at like some little, you know, diner somewhere, and he'll pick out like the biggest guy in there, and you know, like some, you know, just kind of rough looking six foot four dude, and he'd be like, hey, how much would it take for you to go over and just slap that guy? And you look at him, he's like, no, really, like, get, give me a number figure. And uh, he's never given me a number figure high enough that makes me, like, want to do that, right? But, but you kind of go through that, you know, just think through with risk-reward, and you look at it, and you're like, yeah, no, no. Like, whatever you're offering, it's not worth it to eat that pile of, you know, we're not even sure what this is out in the field. Or, you know, pick a fight with this guy, whatever. But that, that whole idea of, like, you know, just thinking through risk-reward of, like, hey, what would it take to do this? And anytime I think about that, I always think about the commercial for the Klondike bars, right? You know, what would you do for a Klondike bar? And so let's back up to first century, uh, the Roman Empire. You know, Rome kind of took a well. It started way back with Alexander uh, the Great, who was this Greek king. And a little bit of history lesson, you know, he conquered basically the known world. Uh, and then he was this brilliant leader, but he died really young. Kingdom was split into, into four different sections, uh, and then a couple hundred years after that, Rome took over. Uh, and Rome became like the superpower in the world. Rome conquered most of the known world at the time. And so Rome was running everything. Uh, but kind of the, the like, I, I guess you would call it like the, the head of sophistication or academia, you know, Alexandria, Egypt was kind of a, a cultural hotspot that would be viewed, you know, kind of the way we would think about maybe like Boston, you know, with like Harvard, Cambridge, all the schools there. Um, you know, or, or England with like Oxford and, or Oxford and those other schools there. There was Alexandria, Egypt, but then you would go to the east. And, and Tim talked about this a little bit. You know, you would go over to either Persia or India. And there were all these great philosophers over there and these great astronomers and astrologers, people that would read the stars, uh, but then also like read, you know, whether it's sorcery or divination or other stuff that we would look at and say, hey, that's clearly outside the way that God calls us to practice our pursuit of him. But there were all these powerful, you know, just kind of academic astronomers over there. And these guys would be kind of viewed as sometimes priests, sometimes philosophers, you know, probably kind of mysterious guys, um, but powerful, pretty wealthy guys. And they, they would have been guys that kind of, kind of ran in the highest circles. So like for them, it wouldn't have been a big deal to sit down with a king or an emperor and you know, like guys would come to them for advice. People would come and be like, hey, like tell me what to do with this war, with this kingdom, with this like huge choice I'm making. So there's these guys, and all of a sudden, the star appears. And the star appears somewhere way off to the west of them. And, and really, there's nothing over there. I mean, you know, if, if, if you're from the east, and, you know, you're looking out to the West, and it kind of reminds me of, like, you know, my mom is from, she grew up just outside New York City. And so her family is all in New England, you know, all went to Yale or Harvard. And, you know, she told them she was moving to Kansas, and they were like, so what's in Kansas? Like, what's, what's out there? And that's kind of what it's like if you're from, like, one of the big cities, like, you know, one of the major metropolitan areas, and then you're looking to the West, there's really nothing out there. There's this tiny little kind of Roman 
occupied country uh, called Israel or Judah. And over there, there's not really, I mean, there's Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a city of maybe 500,000. You know, so I mean, it's, it's a big city for back in the day, but certainly not like this cultural center of anything. And there are these guys from way out east, and, and you know, these, these philosopher, sorcerer, astrologers that would have been pretty highly educated. Well, as far as we know, that had a decent amount of money. And they see this star, and they're looking at it, and they know that something big has happened to the west of them. They don't even know where, but they know something big happened over there. And, and, and then they have this cost-benefit of, you know, do we go chase the star? Because, like, right now, we're, we're in a pretty comfortable position. I mean, you know, we, we have influence, we have education, we have everything that we need. Do we take months or possibly years and just go chase this star? And these guys look at it, and they know that this star means that there's a king somewhere. And so they decide it's worth it to put their lives on hold and go for, you know, question mark amount of time. I mean, you know, I, I don't know if it was months. I mean, very easily it could have been over a year round trip for them. And they decide to put everything on hold to go see what this star is telling them. And, and so, of course, this is what we call the wise men. Um, you know, usually we call the three wise men. Uh, we know that, uh, we don't know it was three. There's three gifts that they have, so we usually associate that with three. But it could have been two guys, could have been as many as, I don't know, a whole caravan of guys. Uh, but they start moving, and so we read about this in Matthew 2, 1 through 12. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We're just going to read through the first 12 verses there, which is the story of the wise men. And I think there are so many little things that, that we can pick up here. But first, if you have your bulletins, the backside has some blanks. Your first blank is this, and it's been the blank every, every week of our Christmas series, is that hope is living in the fulfillment of God's plan. And we start there because Christmas is really about hope. And uh, if, if Christmas is not really about a hope, then Christmas doesn't have meaning. And so we talked about this last week, but everything that there, excuse me, we talked about this Christmas Eve, but everything that we do during the Christmas season is really just a reflection of, of that hope we have because of Jesus. And biblical hope is a little bit different than hope today because hope today is kind of almost a coin flip. Like, you know, ah, it'd be really nice if things happened this way, but I don't know if they're going to. Biblical hope is no, like things are absolutely happening this way. And because God's plan is moving, I confidently get to be a part of it. So first blank is that. The second blank is this. And this is one of the things the wise men tell us. The first Christmas forced the question, what would you do for the king? And that's kind of the question I want us to be thinking about all the way through the sermon today. Is that the wise men were absolutely convinced that they had found the king. And because of that, they had a pretty drastic response. And Christmas begs the question of us, what are we going to do when we find the king? Because if I am convinced that Jesus is the king, then I better have a kingly response for him. And that better call for something pretty drastic from me. So what would you do for the king? So let's start reading. Now after Jesus was born, Matthew 2 verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king. Uh, by the way, we're going to read about Herod different times here. Um, so there's the Roman emperor, Caesar. And he thought of himself as God. He was certainly not a God, he wasn't God, but he was, without question, the most powerful man in the world. I mean, snap of his fingers, like, 
you know, entire countries, entire peoples could be just exterminated. So he was the most powerful man in the world. Under him, you know, he had Roman senators, and then there were leaders of every area. And then you get to Judah, you know, and, and you go several steps down the ladder, and there's this little province, Judah. And there, there's Pontius Pilate. Uh, we know about him later. He, he may not have been reigning right here, but he was the Roman governor. And he was the person who had more power than the king of the Jews. But then there was this guy, Herod. And Herod was appointed by Rome, but he was allowed to rule the people of Israel. And he was, he was a pretty small fish in a big pond. Uh, but when you get to a small pond of Israel, he, he thought he was pretty special. And he was a guy, like, when you lined up all the leaders in the Roman Empire, I mean, he would have been way, way, way down at the bottom of the organizational chart. But in his mind, he was a pretty big deal. He really didn't rule very much. He couldn't really do anything without approval from the Roman governor. Um, but man, he and his family, they were power hungry. They knew they had a little influence over the Jewish people in Israel. And they were hanging on to that as tight as they could. So in the days of Herod the king, in fact, Herod even labeled himself Herod the Great. Uh, but that was kind of a self-appointed title. I don't know anybody else in the world would have used that with him. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And wise men, this term magi, uh, could mean, I mean, it was kind of an all-encompassing term for philosophers, professors, astrologers, astronomers. So these guys that, that were certainly mystic probably worshipped a whole bunch of different gods and read the stars to figure out what was going on in the world. So wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. And then from the east, you know, we don't know if that's Persia, we don't know if that's India, somewhere east of Israel. So they came to Jerusalem and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. This would have been surprising in a lot of ways. One, Herod thought he, he was the king of the Jews. So these guys show up in, in Jerusalem and this is probably not accurate at all, but in my mind, if you've seen the movie Aladdin, and you know like the caravan where they come into the city, like that's how these three kings came into Jerusalem, three kings, that's how these kings came into Jerusalem, right? I mean, there's this whole caravan with all these huge gifts, like these guys are a big deal. Everybody in Jerusalem would have known they came in. And, and King Herod comes out to meet him, and King Herod, I mean, he thinks of himself as a really important guy. But like these wise men, they would have rubbed shoulders with some of the higher up people in the Roman Empire. And they were people that like when they spoke, people listened. And so Herod comes out, you know, kind of thinking he's all that. And I mean, you know, I'm sure the Magi were too polite to tell him that they'd seen a lot more important people than him. But they come up and they say, hey, where is this new king of the Jews that's been born? Because I want to worship him. So first, Herod would have been like, whoa, there is a king of the Jews and you're looking at him. But second... These magi, these really important guys, come to in, in Ju Judah. I mean, uh, Judea in Israel would have been like the North Dakota of the Roman Empire. Apologize to anybody here who's from North Dakota, but like, but they would have been Judea, Israel would have been that part in the Roman Empire where people would have been like, "Oh my goodness!" Like nothing good comes out of there. Like that's kind of a podunk place, and so. Like these, these important scholars come there and they're like, hey, there's a new king, and not only do we want to find him, but we want to worship him. And at this point, Herod starts to feel pretty threatened. Because, first of all, I mean, Herod, you know, he's he's aware enough to know that like guys like this wouldn't come worship him. And they say that there's this king born somewhere, 
And so Herod's feeling pretty threatened and thinking, you know what, I need to do something to shut this down. So, verse 3, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, it's in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a, prophet, or shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This goes way back to Micah 5. This is one of the cool things Matthew does. Is Matthew makes a point of saying, hey, all that stuff in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, we see it fulfilled in Jesus. And so for Matthew, it's, it's one of the ways that he shows that like, God is working all the way through history, all the way through Scripture, saying, hey, this like we saw this in the Old Testament, we see this fulfilled now, and that's a big deal. So verse 7, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. So Herod thinks he's being sneaky, says, Hey, come here, guys. Hey, tell me when that star appeared. So they told him, and, and you know, like Tim said, we, we don't know when that was. We don't know if this was like five months ago. You know, it may have been as much as a year or two before, depending on how long it took the, the Magi to make their way out there. But Herod's like, hey, like when you find him, let me know so I can go worship him too. And again, I'm, I'm reading into stuff, but I I've kind of picture Herod as like this terrible movie villain who's like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to worship him too. That's, that's what I want to do. And the wise men are like, sure, nope, we'll tell you. So, this is your next blank, but this is pretty applicable for our lives, is that fake kings are always threatened by the real king. And, you know, this applies to a whole bunch of stuff in our life. But anything that is not Jesus in our life is always threatened when it encounters the real Jesus in our life. And for every one of us, there are parts of our life that Jesus is still refining. There are parts of our lives that just kind of shy away from Jesus. Maybe it's a relationship. Uh, maybe it's a habit that we have. Maybe it's a, just a lack of discipline. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's our career. But there's some, all of us have different things in our life that we just kind of prefer to like, you know, I'm, like, I, I know, I know Jesus isn't about this, and, and, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe, maybe the most, most obvious one is sometimes, you know, when we're single, we get in relationships that just don't honor Jesus. And, and we're getting around our significant other, you know, maybe it's our spouse who's like, hey, just kind of pulling us away from church or, you know, hey, we, we don't need to prioritize our relationship with Jesus. Maybe it's just a habit that we've picked up. You know, maybe it's an addiction or, or a habit that we pick up that we know just doesn't honor Jesus and feels threatened or cornered any time we come face to face with Jesus. And the truth is that fake kings are always threatened by the real king. And if you have an area in your life where you just feel convicted, you feel Jesus moving, or you feel uncomfortable when you start talking to Jesus about that, then we need to ask the question, do I have a fake king set up here? Because the fake king is always threatened by the real king. And this is like Herod, you know, just threatened by Jesus because Herod gets, like, he's, he's not the real king. And he doesn't even know who the real king is at, that, at this point, but he's threatened by him. So verse 9, after listening to the king, the Magi went on their way. 
Behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. This is one of those that, you know, over the last 2,000 years, different people have, you know, different scholars have tried to figure out what the star of Bethlehem was. You know, I mean, a couple days ago, you know, Saturn and Jupiter align, and, and Jupiter was always kind of the planet of kings, and then Saturn, uh, back in the Roman days, Saturn was uh, a planet that sometimes would represent the Israelites or kind of that part of the Roman Empire. So that's kind of why people call that the Bethlehem star. But the truth is that, like, if this play thing moved specifically enough to be over the house of Jesus in Bethlehem, that, like, you know, it may have started as that, but that was something that required miraculous intervention from God. So God leads these wise men right to the house of Jesus. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. And this is one of those where I just wish I could be a fly on the wall, um, because Mary... Mary and Joseph, I mean, we know they're not wealthy. They're kind of subsistence level. You know, they, they make enough money today to pay for food tomorrow. And so Mary's there, and Jesus is there. And, you know, she's got this little, you know, little baby, little toddler. And all of a sudden, at her door, and this is a time where, like, you know, you wouldn't have foreign visitors. I mean, for an Israelite, that would have been a very strange thing. And she hears a knock and opens the door. And, and not only is it not one of her neighbors, it's this caravan of clearly wealthy, uh, you know, sorcerer astronomers that are not from around her here. And, and they walk in, and the first thing they do is they see her baby, and she knows who this baby is, but not everybody does yet. And these guys immediately fall down and worship. So they worship Jesus, and Mary's looking, and I wonder if now she's thinking back to that, that time when Simeon talked to her in the temple it was like, hey, like you're gonna see this baby like be like a revelation to Gentiles. And then she sees Gentiles in here just worshiping her baby. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now these are not cheap gifts, right? I heard a comedian earlier this week, it was like, man, if you came in and saw Jesus, like diapers is probably what his mom would have appreciated. But these are expensive gifts. These are the gifts that you would give to a king or gifts that you would offer to God. And so, like, these, these guys, again, we read this, and sometimes, you know, it's easy for us to glance over and be like, okay, gold, frankincense, myrrh, th- those are pretty special. But, like, those would have been gifts that probably had not been given to anybody in Bethlehem for decades. I mean, you know, there, there were people there who probably didn't even know what myrrh looked like. It was one of those things you talked about, like you talked about like the super, super wealthy having. And I'm, I wonder if like it was one of those where Mary was like, hey, thank you, thank you. What, what is this? You know? And, and they're like, man, this is, this is gold, and this is frankincense, and this is myrrh. These are gifts that you give to a king or to a god. And the next blank in your bulletin is this. This is something we learned from the wise men. When you find the true king... You bring a royal gift. And we don't read anything else about the wise men. The only other thing we read is that last verse, 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And these are people, I wish, I wish we knew the rest of the story for the wise men. You know, I mean, they grew up and probably until they met Jesus, they'd probably worshipped a number of other gods. I mean, that was just, just what we know of, of the culture of Magi. That's what they did. And so I wonder if these guys, you know, I wonder, 
and, and I, I think, but I'm not sure, that they met Jesus in this changed their entire existence. That they'd been looking for the king all their life. They knew a lot of kings, but then they met the king. They worshipped the king. And I wonder what story they told when they went home. You know, they spend months going back to the east, and they get home, and people ask him, you know, what'd you guys find? And I wonder what they said. Because this is, this is just a snapshot. That's all we see of them. But it's cool the way we see God moving because we know what happens in Matthew 2 right after this is, is Herod then feels threatened and wants to go kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. And Mary and Joseph end up fleeing to Egypt. And you know, they're poor. They don't have a lot of money. But I can guess what funded that move to Egypt. You know, I mean, they had some gold, frankincense, and myrrh that they were able to sell where God was taking care of them to Egypt, and then, you know, eventually they came back, came back to Nazareth. But when we find the true king, we better bring him a royal gift. So let's fast forward 33 years, or 32 years. Jesus now is in the middle of his ministry. So he's grown up, grew up in Nazareth. Uh, you know, he started making a splash in Israel. He started doing these miracles, you know, now lame people are walking, blind people are seeing, deaf people are hearing, dead people are being risen from the dead, and people are starting to notice and wanting to follow Jesus. And at the end of Luke chapter 9, there are these different people that come up to him, and, and they recognize that he's the king, but they're not quite willing to give Jesus what he wants. So this is what we read, Luke 9, 57. This is, I don't know, this is maybe halfway, maybe a little more than halfway through Jesus' ministry. As they were going along the road, this would have been Jesus and his disciples. Someone said to him, uh, you know what, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And so Jesus said, you know, hey, like it's, it's not an easy life because honestly, I don't know where I'm going day to day. And we don't know what happens, but you know, the assumption here is the person says, okay, well, ne never mind then. To another he said, Jesus said, follow me. And he said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now what this probably means is that not like, hey, my dad just died, let me go to the funeral and I'll be back. But probably what this is, is the guy saying, okay, Jesus, that sounds good. Uh, give me a few years till my father passes away so I can collect my inheritance, secure my fa financial future, and as soon as I do that, I'll be back. And Jesus said, leave the dead to bury their own dead. As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another one said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at home. Uh, another one, Jesus, I get it, you're the king, but let me go take care of this stuff and then I'll be back. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So we go back a little bit in Luke 9. Luke 9, 23 through 25. And Jesus says, this is what a royal gift looks like. You ever, uh, you ever talk to people or have to shop for people that are just hard to buy gifts for? Um, my dad's one of those people. Like buying Christmas gifts or birthday gifts for my dad is terrible. So my dad's a doctor. Um, you know, and I mean, he's you know, pretty financially stable. And, you know, he, he just doesn't have a lot of wants or, you know, they're, you know, he hunts. And if he needs to get something, he just goes and buys it. And uh, as far as hobbies, I mean, there's pretty much hunting and reading history books. And, you know, he has all of those that he needs. So, like, shopping for him, it's like, man, what, what do I get him? And so Jesus here, like, if you've ever wondered what to get Jesus, like, Jesus just lays out specifically in Luke 9, 23 through 25, where he says, look, you're looking to get me something. If you recognize that I am the king, this is what it takes. 
He said to them all, Luke 9, 23, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Let me read that one more time. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, if you want to follow me, this is Jesus' way of saying, if, if you look at me and decide I am the king, if you decide that I am worth committing to, this is what it takes. This is what I want you to give me. Let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So the next blank is this. The royal gift for Jesus is to imitate him. I mean, there's so much in the story of the, the wise men visiting Jesus that's just kind of backwards. Because like, there, we, we have a king, Herod, who thinks he's a, a big king. But he's not. He's not the king. We have these wise men who are these Gentile people from hundreds of miles away and they come to Jerusalem recognizing that a king has been born when all these Israelite Jewish experts should have known that, and they didn't realize it. And then they go there, and, and you know, this king is in this poor little home. His dad's a carpenter. You know, they're, they're just, just like very, very, very lower middle class. And these kings come in, or these three wise men, they bow down and worship him. They give him all these great gifts. They give them these royal gifts because they don't know what else to give them. I mean, that's the highest sign of honor they can give them. And then they worship them. And then we visit Jesus a little bit later in life. And Jesus, at this point, he has followers. And he's like, hey, you guys are starting to realize who I am. I'm, I'm the king. And let's just be clear. If you want to follow me, if you realize that I am the king, then what you do is you deny yourself. And this, is like, this seems backwards sometimes. Like, what do I do to get eternal life with Jesus? All i got to do is take everything where I choose me first, and I just stop doing that, and I start imitating Jesus. I make the, the things that are important to Jesus important to me. What would you do for the king? The next blank is this. If we have biblical hope, we must have a biblical response to everything in our life. It's one of those, kind of like the wise men, the wise men had an option, and if they'd stayed over in the east, they could have recognized that there was like the king born, but not done anything about it. But they didn't do that, right? They, they put their life on hold, came over, worshiped Jesus, gave him gifts, and those gifts God used to keep that family alive and solvent when they had to move to Egypt, come back to Israel. These guys put everything on hold for that because they recognized who the king was. Jesus, in his life on earth, quoted so much scripture. I mean, we know, you know, specifically, maybe the best example is just when he's being tempted by Satan. Every time Satan tempts him, Jesus responds with scripture. You know, whether it's, you know, man doesn't live on bread alone, or, you know, trust God, he'll care for you. And, and Jesus always responded with scripture. Jesus had a biblical response because Jesus had biblical hope. If we have biblical hope, then we're going to have a biblical response to everything in our life. So the question... I want to ask is this, kind of we're wrapping up one year, and uh, you know, 2020 has been a year, we're looking ahead to 2021, and we have some cool, cool stuff coming up, um, but, but as we're looking ahead, 
let's ask ourselves the question, what would I do for the king? And if you've never, ever found the king, you know, if you're here today and you're thinking, you know what, like I'm hearing all this, but I'm, I'm not totally sold that Jesus is the king. You know, we can't have another conversation until we have that one. Don't leave today without figuring out who the king is. Because that is, that is quite literally an eternity-changing decision. So let's make sure we know who the king is. Now, you know, like the wise men, we're presented with a choice. We, we look and we see that there's a king, here's Jesus, and we can either respond to him or we can't. Man, don't leave today without responding to him. Now, most of us, we, we've decided who the king is. Um, you know, we've decided, okay, Jesus is the king. I am changing my life, working my life around his. So the question I want to ask is just over this next year, what is it that I am going to do for the king? And so that, that last blank, I don't have an answer there. I'll let you guys fill that out. But I'd like you to take a little time this week. Just look at that. And this year, because I have the only true hope, I will imitate the true king by blank. That's a question that, that I can't answer for you because all of us are in a little bit different stage in our walk. You know, for some of us, it's, you know what, I'm going to imitate Jesus by turning more of my life over to him. Uh, I have this relationship, I have this habit, I have this addiction, I have this thing that, that maybe it's not even a, a sinful thing, but it's something that, th- that feels threatened by the real king. And I'm going to work on cutting that out of my life. We have you know, so many cool stories at our church that, that I get privileged to hear just talking to people about people who have changed their lives or seen their lives change this past year because they have chosen to follow the true king more and more and more. For some of us, maybe it's not cutting something out. Maybe it's adding something in. You know, for some of us, maybe it's, you know what, I know who the king is, but I don't actually know what it looks like to give a biblical response in every area of my life. Because I just don't know Scripture that well. If that's you, then maybe this year is, you know what, I'm going to choose to imitate the king by learning Scripture more. Um, one, of the, one of the things I'm excited about is this next year we're going to start a number of small groups, and we're going to do a, a couple more Bible studies. And so, you know, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know what, like, I want to have that biblical response, but to be honest, I don't know what a biblical response is every time. And I mean, there's some things that are, that are pretty clear-cut, but man, there's a lot of life where, where it's like, uh, what would Jesus do in this situation? If that's you, man, talk to me. Um, talk to Colin, talk to one of our elders, but I'd love to get you connected with one of our small groups or one of our Bible studies that we're starting. Maybe it's just picking up that habit. Maybe it's getting together with other believers. Maybe, maybe it's, you know what, I'm going to take this next year and I'm just going to be more consistent in getting together with other believers because that's something that Jesus calls us to do and doesn't give us an option about. So whatever that is, take some time this week and just fill out that bottom blank. This year, because I have the only true hope, I know who the king is. There's a lot of kings, but there's only one who is the king. I will imitate the true king by this. Man, do that. And, and then if you would, man, just, just share that with somebody. I mean, it can be me, it can be somebody else, but it's one of those, like, if we write it down, we're more likely to do it than if we don't write it down. Uh, but if we write it down and tell somebody about it, we're even more likely to do it. So let me do this. Let me pray for us. 
Um, and after that, I'm really excited. We're going to have a baptism. So I'm going to ask these guys to go start getting ready for that. Um, so I'm going to pray for us. And then Ty's going to come up and lead us through a communion meditation. Uh, Cal's going to lead us through joy to the world, uh, which is just, I think, uh, an awesome way for us to kind of wrap up this year of church services. Uh, then we're going to have a baptism. And uh, I can't think of, again, a better way to wrap up this year of Christmas, or of Christmas services, of church services, than just celebrating Natanya's commitment as she's saying, hey, I'm, I'm serious about following Jesus, and I want to take this next step. Um, after that, you know, if you want to talk to us, um, if you want help figuring out who the king is, if you want to talk about helping make your life look more like Jesus, don't leave today without talking to somebody. Either stay in your seat after service is over, make your way over here by the drum set. If you play the drums, you'll get attention a little bit quicker, I promise. Uh, or just come talk to me, talk to one of our elders, and we'd love to have that conversation with you. So let me pray that I'm going to ask Ty to come up and uh, lead us through communion. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you for um, moving the stars in order to get the attention of those wise men. Thank you for allowing us to hear their story about these these men who recognize the king, who put their life on hold to come find and worship you. Jesus, I pray that we would be a church who does that, that, that whatever it is you call us to do, however it is that you lead us, that everything else would become secondary to following you. Jesus, as we're, as we're all spending some time this week thinking about what this next year looks like, who it is that you're calling us to be, Jesus, allow us to see how we can better imitate you and, uh, and reflect you and just be ambassadors for you and for your kingdom. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.